0: The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. You'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We'll be continuing our study in the book of Matthew this morning, turning now to Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through verse 17. This is the word of God. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he doesn't. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord and ask his blessing upon us this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray, O Lord, as we come to this particular passage of your holy word, that you would see fit to show us your Son from it that you, O Father, would be gracious to us, that we might look upon the glory of our Savior by faith now, that we might in the future look upon it by sight and glory. We pray, Father, that you would bless the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth. As we begin to explore this text together this morning, speak to us powerfully, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was the... The British historian and political thinker, Lord Acton, uh, who once remarked that power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. There's no doubt that we don't really need anyone to go and prove that to us. We know it from our own experience. We know that every sinner has the incredible propensity to let even the smallest amount of power go straight to their head. They have the incredible ability to take whatever power they accrue and instead of using it for the good of others, begin to use it for their own good against others. Now, that's true of individuals. It's even more true, perhaps, of institutions and of governments. But we know that it is true also of every one of us. When we're honest about it, we realize that we all have that sinful propensity to love ourselves, as it were, more than others, and to let any power, any ability that we have be used first and foremost for our own good. There's no doubt that what Lord Acton was getting at is true. And yet, as we come to this particular passage of the Gospel of Matthew, we find one important exception to his maxim. You see, we see here in Matthew chapter eight one who is simultaneously the possessor of absolute power and also is absolutely incorruptible. Indeed, we see one here who's marked not only with incorruptibility, but perhaps with the opposites of corruptibility, with corruption or with the opposite of corruption, that being great compassion. We see the Lord Jesus Christ here displayed before us as one who is able to do great things and as one who is willing to show great compassion. He uses his power, as it were, not for his own good, but for the good of the weak and of the good of the lowly of this world. We see that demonstrated for us here in Matthew We look, as it were, at verses 1 through 4, and we see Jesus demonstrating his willing compassion towards the leper. As we move on in the passage to verses 5 through 13, we see Jesus again demonstrating his compassion, but this time in particular, we see that his authoritative power is recognized in the marvelous faith of the centurion. And then as we get to the end of the passage in verses 14 through 17, what we find is that all of these episodes concluding with the healing of Peter's mother-in-law and with the healing of these massive people that were brought to Jesus are all meant to show us that Jesus is not only one who possesses willing compassion and absolute power, but he's one who has been sent on a messianic mission for the sake of God's people. And that's what I want us to see this morning from this text. As we look at it, we see Jesus set before us. We see him set before us in his willing compassion, in his authoritative power, and indeed in his messianic mission for God's people. Look with me, if you will, beginning at verse 1, and we'll begin to consider then the willing compassion of Jesus as we see it here in the story of the healing of the leper. You note verse 1 clues us in that there is going to be something of a transition in this passage. We have just been uh, reading and studying about that most glorious sermon of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been hearing about the Sermon on the Mount. We've been there for quite a number of weeks now. And now we are transitioning away from Christ's sermon to his healing ministry. And you'll see that as we continue on through the book of Matthew. that This particular section is marked with many accounts Jesus' healing. And we see here in verse 1 that he has come down from the mountain. And as he comes down from the mountain, he is followed by a great crowd. No doubt these are the people who just in verses 28 and 29 were marveling. They were astonished at the authoritative teaching of Jesus Christ. They have seen something in Jesus that they have never seen before. And they continue then to follow him. And as they come down from the mountain we can imagine this great mass verse 2 introduces the leper to us verse 2 says and behold a leper came to him and knelt before him saying lord if you will you can make me clean now if we take a few moments to imagine this scene i think i think it adds really to our understanding of the text remember for just a moment what you know about lepers. Lepers are not exactly the most popular people in ancient Israel. Quite the contrary, they're the outcast. They're those people who live at the very fringe of society. And and worse than that, they're people who possess uncleanness that is not only a burden to themselves, but which is contagious, as it were, to others. We can think back to the book of Leviticus in chapters 13 and 14 where Moses lays out there the laws for dealing with lepers. And we remember there that as a leper draws near to people, he must cry out indicating his own uncleanness. And thus we can imagine what this might have been like as this leper comes into the midst of this crowd that's gathered around the Saviour. We can imagine him coming and the crowd begins to split. And you begin to hear this man saying, unclean, unclean. And the people recoil, seeking to avoid this leper. And he comes right up to Jesus. You must have been able to hear a pin drop. Can you imagine what you would have thought if you would have been standing around? This is a man who's ritually unclean, coming to interact with this great teacher. And look at what the leopard does. He falls at Jesus' feet. He falls at Jesus' feet. And he makes a statement, doesn't he? Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. There's more to this statement than meets the eye, perhaps, If you think about it for the moment, the the leper statement uh, has some implicit things in it, doesn't it? It's implicitly uh, a request, a request for healing. It's also, though, it's also a recognition of Jesus's ability to heal. But there's a third thing that's implicit here in this statement, and that's a question of Jesus's willingness to heal. You see, the leper has no doubt in his mind that if Jesus is willing, then he's able. The question he wants to know is, is Jesus willing? I mean, you can imagine this man's life up to this point. It's been marked by people's unwillingness to interact with him. It's been marked by being shunned by living on the fringes of society. We don't know how long he's been a leper, but even a short amount of time, being a leper must be immensely emotionally scarring to someone. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to be in this sort of position? And we don't know for sure if this man actually has what we would today call leprosy, namely the kind of disease that makes your body parts fall off, but it's a possibility that he does. If that's the case, then you can imagine even more the desperation of the statement. Will you heal me? And Jesus does something amazing in response. Jesus, in verse 3, stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Friends, there is no greater picture of the compassion of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, than the one that is painted for us in that very sentence. Imagine what Jesus is doing. He reaches out and he touches this leper. That would have been an unthinkable act for the people standing around. Now it's not pins dropping, now it's just... It's just complete and total total silence. The pins don't even make sounds at this point. They're looking at what just happened and they're just stunned. Completely stunned because Jesus, in their minds, has just made Himself ritually unclean. But you know that that's actually not what happened, is it? Something happened which would have been a total impossibility in their way of thinking. You see, when Jesus touched the unclean leper, Jesus didn't become unclean. The leper became clean. This is a radical reorientation of their thinking. What they've just witnessed is in their minds, or would have been just a few minutes ago, completely impossible. They've just met one who is undefilable and who brings purification in his very touch. It's an amazing picture of our Savior's power, yes, but it's an amazing picture of our Savior's compassion. As we back away from this text, we see what Jesus tells him as he leaves. He, he says, that, see, you, you tell no one this or say nothing to anyone. But go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. It's an interesting statement that Jesus makes there at the end. He sends this man to make the the ritual offering that was required for a leper. It's laid out there in Leviticus chapter 14. If you want to go and read it later, you can see exactly what he was required to do. He was required to go and he was required to bring an offering. And then it was required of him that he be examined by the priest. And you note here that in this process, it would have allowed this man to re-enter the fellowship of God's people. And of course, that's extremely important here. This man who has been ostracized from the church, as it were, is now able, through the cleansing power of Jesus, to be brought back into fellowship with God's people, and indeed, into fellowship with God, in the sense that he's able to go and worship God aright, as he was commanded to. But there's also something else here. You see that he he does this for a proof to them. It's not only a proof that he's cleansed, but it's also a proof that Jesus is able to cleanse. Jesus is able to cleanse. Surely, in part, this is Jesus' uh, action so that he can show himself as one who is able to perform such miracles to the leaders of Israel, including the priest here. But before we move on, I do, I do think that we have to meditate upon what we've seen for just a moment. You see, we've seen one who is at the absolute bottom of Israelite society, restored to fellowship with God's people and healed of his impurity and his physical infirmities by the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's easy for us to skip over a a section like this without thinking about what that means for us today. I want to say... That if you're here this morning and and you think the way this leopard does, perhaps you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, well, I I know Jesus is able. I I don't question the power of Jesus. I I understand that Jesus is able to make me clean, but I'm not sure if he's willing. Uh, Friends, I, I want us to look for just a moment upon the compassionate heart of the Savior here. If you're asking that question, then put yourself in the position of the leper. Fleeing yourself at Christ's feet, and I assure you that as you cry out to Him, He is one whose heart is full of compassion. Compassion for the lowly, yes, but compassion for sinners. Compassion for those of us who have done things that we think are unspeakable. He's full of compassion for us today today. As his heart is inclined towards sinners in heaven, just as much as he was marked by compassion whenever he was walking this earth and demonstrating it to this leper. Friends, meditate upon the compassion of the Savior. And we see the Savior's willing compassion here. As we transition to verse 5, we find another Episode of healing, as it were, another one of these healing stories that were told about Jesus. This time it includes a centurion and his servant. Look with me, if you will, at verse 5. It says here, when he entered Capernaum, you notice there's another change in location, signaling not only a change in location, but also a change in the story. A centurion came forward to him, appealing to him Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home suffering terribly. Again, we see someone coming to Jesus who seems to understand that Jesus is able to heal. Now, it's interesting in this case that as we saw the leper, he was really, really bad off, no doubt. He was in terrible condition. Yet he was able, of his own volition, to come to Jesus. You note that. But here we find one who's not even able to come to Jesus. Someone has come on his behalf. The centurion has come on behalf of his servant. His servant is so bad off that he's paralyzed. And as he comes to him, he, he makes this statement. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Again, we don't have a request here. We have a statement, yet implicit in there is no doubt a request for healing. And note what Jesus does. Again, demonstrating his compassion, he says to him, I will come and heal him. But in verse 8, we begin to see some significant differences between this story and the last. The centurion replies, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. You see, the centurion is sure that he is unworthy to have Jesus come into his home. It's... Interesting. It doesn't say it here, but in other places in the gospel, it actually notes that as uh, this centurion is introduced to Jesus, uh, the Jews come to him and they say, this is a worthy man. And here we have the centurion recoiling at that in a way. He says, no, I, I'm unworthy. He recognizes that Jesus is a holy man of God, and he recognizes that he is not worthy to have him even come into his home. Some would suggest that it's because this man is a Gentile God-fearer. No doubt that's true. And he understands the laws of the Jews prohibit Gentiles from having Jews in their home. It'll make a Jew unclean to go into the home of a Gentile. But I think it's not only that. It's also the fact that this man recognizes the greatness of the Savior. So he says here, no, 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 don't come to my home, but only say the words which is remarkable in and of itself. But then he goes on in verse 9 and following to explain why he has confidence that Jesus is able to heal his servant without even coming near him. Listen to what he says. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. At this statement, Jesus does what? In verse 10, Jesus heard this, He marveled, and he said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, no one in Israel, or in no one in Israel, have I found such faith. See what's happened here. The centurion has a deeper understanding of Jesus than anybody that Jesus has encountered up to this point. You know why? Because the centurion sees past the power of Jesus to heal to the person of Jesus, and to the position of Jesus. You note that he explains it this way. He says, I too am a man under authority. What is he saying there? He's saying that he understands where Jesus' power comes from. It comes from God. And he, he goes on to say that because he's a man under authority, all he has to do is say the words, and those who are under his authority go and do whatever he has commanded them to do. And he recognizes that Jesus has this kind of authority. He doesn't have this kind of authority over just his disciples, but he has this kind of authority over the entire creation. You see, what this man has done is he recognizes that Jesus is not just a great healer, He's not some sort of magician. He's not some sort of, you know, uh, genie that grants whatever wish that somebody comes and asks him for. He is one who acts, was one with authority over all of creation. He recognizes that Jesus has this divine authority. And apparently, none of the Jews got this at this point. All the people that should have got this didn't get it. But this Gentile, this Gentile gets it. He gets it. And this leads Jesus to do a bit of a digression here. He says, as he marvels at what he has just witnessed, truly, truly, right? or truly rather, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many, will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus uses the faith of this centurion as an opportunity to teach about the scope of his work. He uses this centurion's faith to both warn the Jews and to teach them that the kingdom ought not be narrowly defined along their ethnic lines. You see, what Jesus is getting at here is that the true son of the kingdom is the one who recognizes the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When they look upon Christ, they don't see somebody who can provide convenient access to health care. What they see is the one who has been sent from God with God's authority for the sake of God's people. They truly recognize who Jesus is. That's key to being a true son, as it were, of the kingdom. It's important for us to note here that there is a danger for those of us who have been born and grown up in the church to fall into the same kind of mistake that these Jews were falling into. You see, covenant children, just because you've been baptized, just because you've been catechized, just because your mom and dad make you go to church every Sunday, that does not... Give you a right to recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The only way that you gain that right is through faith in the Son of God. It's as true now for us as it was then for them. Do not rest on your covenant membership for your salvation. Don't do that. But the text continues. The centurion, well rather, Jesus says to the centurion, go and let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. It's really remarkable if you step back and compare this for a moment with his actions towards the leper. It's almost like he, he, he picked the most difficult way to heal both of those people with the leper it was scandalous for him to touch him so he did and he showed his power and his compassion in that act but here he shows that he doesn't need to draw near he doesn't even need to be with an eye shot all he has to do is say the word and at that very moment just as effective as his touch was to the leper so is his authoritative word to heal the centurion's servant But as we move on to the last section of text here, we begin to see Matthew's points in arranging these things the way he's arranged them. We've seen the willing compassion of the Savior, we've seen the authoritative power of the Savior. And now, as we turn to verse 14 and following, we see the messianic mission of the Savior. Look at what happens in verse 14. And when Jesus enters Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Before we jump right to verse 17, which is, I confess, my own temptation here, it's important for us to see what he's done here. He enters Peter's house, he sees his mother-in-law lying sick with the fever, and he touches her hand. Of course, this is another demonstration of his power, it's another demonstration of his compassion, but it's also interesting that, to look at the way in which this whole section of narrative works. You have the leper who comes to Jesus. You have the centurion who comes on the behalf of a servant. And then lastly, you have Jesus coming himself uh, to Peter's mother-in-law. It's kind of an interesting way that the text is arranged to show us the variety of ways in which Jesus showed compassion to these people. It's also interesting that we've seen a leper healed, We've seen a Gentile healed, and now we see a woman healed. All of these people, to one degree or another, would have been second-class citizens in this society. And Jesus shows his willingness in every case uh, to show mercy and compassion to them. That's a significant point we shouldn't miss, both for the sake of our own emulation. We should never look upon somebody as outside the reach of our compassion, and certainly not outside the reach of Jesus' compassion. We need to be careful when we interact with those who make us recoil. Be careful that we look like the Savior as we seek to love our neighbors. But, as the text continues, we see all of these people being brought to Jesus. Many, it says, were brought to him. Some who are oppressed by demons, and he casts the demons away. And, and with a word, and, and then he heals all those who were sick who were brought to him. We can imagine Peter's house just filling up with people as they find out where Jesus is, coming to be healed and, and to have their, their demons cast out. But it's in verse 17 where we, where we really see uh, the, the point of what Matthew has been showing us from verse 1 and following. He says there that this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Now, no doubt he's speaking specifically to some degree of verse 14 and following, but he's also, I believe, speaking of everything that has come before it in this chapter. What he's saying to us is that as we look upon the actions of Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, what we're meant to see is not just a really powerful and compassionate person. What we're meant to see, and what amazingly the Jews didn't see in the previous section, but the Gentile seems to have understood at least something of it. What we're meant to see is that the one standing before us is the Messiah. Look at where he quotes from. He quotes here from Isaiah chapter 53 which of course is the fourth servant song of Isaiah. It's one of those famous messianic passages of Isaiah where we learn about how the Messiah will work whenever he comes to the earth. Imagine, as Matthew writes these words, he must have thought, how did we miss it? Because he was, he was missing it at this point too, it seems like. How did we miss it? Those Jews who knew the Old Testament, who knew to look for the Messiah, who knew that he would be one who would act like this. How did they miss it? Yet they did somehow. But what he's trying to tell us here is that Jesus is the servant of the Lord. He quotes from Isaiah 53 there from verse 4. In our text, generally, it's translated this way. Surely he's borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Either one of these things or either one of these translations is is a valid translation. In some ways, they highlight different aspects of Christ's work here. But if we continue from verse 4, we see, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We, all like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all see as Matthew locates the messianic mission of Jesus there in Isaiah 53 he's pointing us to the reality that Jesus is not just the one who is able to heal our physical infirmities but Jesus is the one who has come he has come to deal with the disease not just the symptoms You see, by quoting from that context, what he's seeking to get us to understand is that Jesus is demonstrating here his compassion and his power, yes. But he's not only demonstrating his willingness to uh, heal the physical infirmities that we have, whether they be leprosy or paralysis or fever or cancer or depression or whatever you want to put in there. Jesus is powerful enough to do that, yes. There is no doubt about that. But what makes Jesus the great physician is not that he is able to come and alleviate our physical suffering. What makes Jesus the great physician is that he is able to deal with that sin and misery which lie at the very heart, at the very roots of every infirmity that we have. You see, Jesus is the one who diagnoses the disease and deals with it at its very core. He's the one who's come to deal with our greatest problem. Not our physical pain, but our sin and our separation from God. Matthew is pushing us to see the scope of Jesus' messianic mission here. It's important that we put all these things together. It's important that we keep them together. Jesus was healing on this earth. Friends, there will be a day where he will bring healing to this mortal frame, where he will transform this body of dust into a body that bears the image of the man of heaven. No doubt. That is part of the work of Jesus. But what lies at the very heart of the work of Jesus is his willingness to not just take away our sickness but to take our sins on himself, to be pierced for our transgressions, to face the judgment of God for the people of God. That, friends, is where we see, in a way that is unimaginably gracious, the compassion and the power and, indeed, the mission of our Savior. Jesus comes to bring holistic redemption to broken sinners. Set before us in this text is the servant of the Lord. It's the servant of the Lord and the Savior of God's people. And as we conclude, uh, we need to understand who he is and what he's like. See, Jesus is willing to, He's able, and he was sent to show powerful compassion to God's people, to sinners like you and me, for our good, but for the glory of our Father in heaven, who sent him out of love so that he might die for our sakes friends, let us live in light of the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.